We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 73. Our guest today owns a boutique breeding and training operation on the West Coast, and we had so much fun reminiscing about her junior days and how she transitioned into professional life to create a name for herself in equestrian sport. So here to talk to us today is Hannah Selleck. I would love to hear your entire story, how you got to where you are today, because I'm sure there is quite the winding road from when you first started to where you are. So I would love to hear about how you first got into the equestrian world. My first taste of it was my local riding stable down the road called Foxfield. And my parents encouraged me to try all different sports and activities. So naturally, kind of growing up on a ranch lent itself to the horses and having that local riding school is where I was bitten by the bug and learned all the basics. Amazing. So you started at a super young age and then at what point were you like, okay, time to get serious. I'm going to start showing and doing the whole junior thing. Did you have a lot of pony riding experience? What did that look like? Yeah, it was kept pretty, I'd say more of like a normal take care of your own horse sort of education. Mm and upbringing. It was up to me to decide how serious I wanted to be. I traveled around on the drill team at Foxfield where we performed a routine jumping without saddles and bridles. There was about 20 of us that would do a routine. And I sort of got more competitive, I'd say, with my second pony. I had a couple, you know, lesson ponies and then got my own. My first one was Taffy, a little Welsh pony. She didn't do flying lead changes and (laughs) she would trot straight through like the brush jump that they had on the show. (laughs) And my next pony was a really lovely, large pony named First Impression. And she kind of gave me a taste of that competitive edge and what it was like to win. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was a super pony. I never did the like big A-show ponies. It was more sort of like smaller, I guess, maybe Mm -hmm. like maybe 1A versus like double A or whatever. Sure. Yeah. But um. Were you like me and did you get tall really early on? I I grew out of ponies like right away. Yes, I had to have the large pony and she was able to actually do some of the 12 and under medal finals because she could get the horse strides. Nice. So when I grew out of her, got my first horse, then it was like, okay, time to go to a a bigger show barn. Yeah. Uh, And I moved to Mark Bone and Nikki Simpson mentored me and and then moved on to Karen Healy. and, And that's when it got quite serious. I'd say like 16. Okay. 14 and under medal finals kind of ticked those off and was like, okay, we can come and play here. So Mm -hmm. let's, let's do this. Awesome. So at that point, what was the transition like for you as far as the level of riding, the day-to-day commitment, and then just kind of the competition? Yeah, I'd always taken it very seriously. My parents have always been super and supported me all through my junior and amateur years and now help they can. But I had to do it with discipline and I always Mm -hmm. had to take care of my own horses. 
take pride in it. And, you know, if this is something I wanted to do, be very involved and kind of ingrain that, that sort of it's in the details, right? So everything matters. So when I started training with Karen Healy, it's an intense commitment. There's a lot of preparation and practice that goes into metal finals and young riders. So it was every day after school, straight to the barn and riding and both days on the weekends. Um, So it was really just school and ride. Yeah. Um, There wasn't much time for social. I think my junior year, I was able to go to like winter formal and prom. I wanted Mm -hmm. to go to formal school. But you know, it's a huge commitment. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. When you were riding and you transitioned to Karen Healy, at that point, had you been doing a lot of the jumpers or were you mainly doing hunters and eck? What what did that look like as far as the disciplines went? I'd done all the disciplines. My basics at Foxfield was well-rounded. You had one horse that did it all. They got you in mm-hmm. And I think I got my first children's jumper while I was still at Foxfield around the age of 12 that I leased from El Campion, El Campion's Hazel. She was a really, really awesome speedy horse. And I was able to do her in the big children's and adult jumper classic. They had an Indio at the time, which was like the big yeah. deal. I remember it was... Yeah something, a goal of mine. So I'd always had the jumpers and I, I think I had a jumper always as well as an at course. I never owned any of my own hunters because I, I was able to catch right a lot of those, Great. but yeah, always had the jumpers. <laughs> Amazing. And was that something in the back of your head? Was that like always your favorite ring or did you have one favorite over the others? I mean, I don't know. I loved... The Hunters, I think my last junior year, I was a little bit burned out just catch riding. It was a lot of rounds at the ring and I had a, two really good good junior jumpers at that time I wanted to focus a little bit more on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the jumpers, I, I loved it, but I also really loved the X. I was good at the X, which helped, I think, naturally. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those bending lines and being stylish with a trot jumper and inside turn and how can you show yourself off to the judge and make them remember you out of 300, you know, and yeah. the medal finals. That I really thrived on that sort of pressure. And I, I really did, did enjoy that. Awesome. And then you got toward the end of your junior career and then you were thinking, was school always a plan? Like as far as going to college, what was that like for you? I always had to go to school. That was a deal with my parents. I don't know if I fought that a lot. I I can't remember now, but I was going to do the NCAA. Teams had just kind of started when I was going off to college. I looked at SMU and Texas A&M. But a lot of the rules, I'm not sure if they change now, would have stopped me from doing pre-to-states team Mm -hmm. and young riders. So I opted to stay in California and go to LMU because those were big goals of mine. Young riders was a huge goal. And I wouldn't have been able to compete on the Zone 10 team, I believe. And I didn't want to defer from college a year. Right. What did you study in school? I studied communications. Okay, cool. So did I. (laughs) <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Do you feel like that degree has been helpful within the industry? I mean, obviously, there's like general life lessons of going to college and responsibility and time right. management, but do you feel like the communications degree was helpful? Yeah, it, it was. I, at that in college, I, I think I wanted to ride as a high level amateur still and have a job 
where I could do both or try to. I did work in PR for a year. I interned and, and worked there, but it was the first time I'd really been away from the horses, you know, Monday through Friday and was only getting to ride on the weekends. And it showed me how much it meant to me and how much it was my passion. I I was always passionate about it, but you know, that little, little step back. Totally. Yeah. It makes you kind of realize. Um, I I did something similar when I was in school and didn't ride. And then you come back from it and you're like, oh my gosh, I have to go back to it. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, exactly. So at that point you were like, okay, I feel like I want to do this full time. What was that process like for you? Because you said until that point you had been planning on doing the adult amateur life with riding. Yeah. So what was that transition like? My parents said they would help support my horses that I had. I had Tosca and Bauer, but I had to turn professional and work. So I talked it over with Karen and I turned professional. I believe that, what would it be? 2011, 2012 at the winter circuit in, in Thermal. Um, I started working for her as an assistant for about a year. That was a great experience. She's such a great teacher. And it was really interesting being on the ground. You know, I always knew it's a team of people that gets you to the ring, but I didn't realize how much that team wants you to succeed Mm -hmm. Um, and really how much goes into it where, you know, we're building the courses for those morning lessons before the medal or the USCT and, and just, you know, those really long hours that go in on every person on the team. So it's a lot of work, but I Mm -hmm. love it. That's pretty amazing because it's not necessarily a prerequisite before being a professional. So I really commend you for taking that time because it's definitely something that, yeah, it's not necessary, but you were able to see a different point of view within the industry. Yeah, it was really great. Amazing. You also have so much credit to give to the people who are in those roles long-term because when I have helped, you know, like those long hours of whether it's grooming or being an assistant or running around rings, I just give those people so much credit. How can people do this long-term? I get so exhausted. Prepping those horses, prepping those kids, having the repetition of good results really, I think, speaks volumes to a program. So if you can get your foot into one of those and work, I think it's great experience. You'll learn a lot. Totally. What are some recommendations you have for anyone listening who maybe doesn't have a connection off the top of their head of a barn that they could work for in a position like that to gain experience? I would say I believe the Federation has more working student programs now. I saw mm-hmm. a lovely working student spotlight that was featured in the, the USCF magazine it was. Yeah. And try and network and reach out to show your skills and get one of those positions. I believe the NCAA riding can help mm-hmm. get you into a program. You can learn something in that and then have the network a little bit, yeah. hopefully to put yourself with the experience you need. Right. And I think there's always the misconception that these big trainers or big barns that have like tons of staff and a really well-oiled machine, some people kind of think they're a little untouchable where it's pretty amazing how easy it is, even if you wanted to go to a show and watch how they work or even walk up to them when they're free for a minute and ask them questions. So many trainers are so willing to talk. 
you know, any clinic is always yeah. an idea and, and just try and make that connection. And it really, even if there's a lack of experience, I think having the drive and, you know, the attention to want to do something right and go the extra mile really can go such a long way in the barn and you can grow into your own role into a lot of people's programs, whether it's a top jumper rider that's at the big ring or an equitation trainer, those sort of roles can really, really go a long way. Exactly. So you were working under Karen for a bit. At what point were you then thinking, okay, I think I'm ready to go off on my own? It's not like there's a moment per se. I wanted to go to Florida and get that experience. I'd never done that. I think I visited for like a week once, but I never wanted to commute back and forth from sure. It just kind of gradually transitions kind of in a natural way. For me, it was my dad encouraged breeding the horses I had, and that was a way for me to get in the ring. And, you know, now it's transitioned more into some opportunities with sales horses. So it's it's strange. At no point do I look back and be like, oh, this was like the moment I made a break. Yeah. Um, it just, because it's, it's constant learning and just adapting and really evolving, I guess. Totally. And I feel like I read somewhere that you and your dad have put together a little bit of a breeding program and have some young horses. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. He really encouraged me to breed. I had a couple really nice mares and breed those top mounts to try and get horses of my own or horses we could sell just because the cost of horses is so much, you know, why not develop your own and have also learned that skill set? So now I have Rumple, my oh, seven year old here. She's one of the babies and, and she's been great in my string. I don't want to ride the young horses as much coming off of an injury mm-hmm. like a year and a half ago. So now I'm trying to transition the business more into sales. Injuries are super common with athletes, especially equestrian athletes. And for us, it involves totally taking time off and having to adjust your business and whatnot. How was that transition for you post your injury, then transitioning more to focusing on sales? I'd say before I got hurt, my goal was ring time and experience and getting in the show ring on as many horses as I could. And then after it, I just had to reevaluate it. I think being a little bit older, I'm now, I'm now 31, that okay, we aren't indestructible. It takes a body a while to heal. So we got to take care of ourselves and, and all of that. And the sport is risky. So I just thought, okay, maybe this is the opportunity for me to shift and and go in that direction more towards putting the finesse on, you know, more going horses, not yeah. resetting so much a client's horse or catch riding some sales horses that just have some traits that I'm not used to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where if a sales horse is in, in my program, I'm riding it pretty much every day. I know the horse a little bit better. For me, I see less risk in that. Yeah, and, and I like the direction it's it's going in. This episode is so graciously brought to you by Redding Goat Equestrian. Redding Goat Equestrian created outerwear pieces that are waterproof, breathable, and insulated in one technical piece. Yes, top and bottom in one piece. That is perfect whether you're riding in sub-zero temperatures or in a monsoon of rain. And let's be honest, I'm a Floridian and I still wear it during our Florida winters. It is amazing. They also have tons of pockets and pouches to stash your keys, your phone, spurs, you name it. It also has a beautiful silhouette, so it doesn't look super bulky. 
You need to see this for yourself. So head on over to Redingote Equestrian. That's R-E-D-I-N-G-O-T-E equestrian.com. And you can check out for yourself. See their winter insulated gear as well as their rain gear. Also, be sure to use the code PODCAST and you'll receive a free tote with any purchase of a suit. Thanks so much, Red and Goat Equestrian. All right, let's head on back to the episode. What does a normal day kind of look like for you? My normal day, you know, we have like our home days and we have our our show days. I'd sit home. I like to be at the barn by eight at the latest. I try and ride all morning and then... We'll get either a workout in. Sometimes I'll leave the barn to take a quick workout class and then come back for the afternoon and, you know, just go through everything. There's always that balance I find between the riding and then kind of keeping up on all the office work. So just staying on on what we need to do every day. But I do like to be in the barns in the afternoon and just keep my eyes on the tack room, on the feed room. And I find that if you're not there daily, things do really slip. Not just Mm -hmm. obviously daily riding, but daily doing things on the ground. You just miss things. Right. So trying to be present. What are some exercises you like to do and incorporate in your time at home when you are working with your horses? One of my favorite exercises is one that I saw in the Chronicle. It was three exercises from McLean Ward. And I really like the one. He said it, I believe, at 18 feet. It's a vertical with a landing rail, three verticals with landing rails in the middle. And I open it up normally a couple feet to, to start on the young ones or mm-hmm. on a bigger horse until they can get their stride and, and rock back. That one I really love just as a simple prep keeps the rhythm well, prepares them so they're careful enough for a show, but still stay positive and, and forward. That's one of my favorite favorite exercises. And a second favorite is always a, a three-stride pull on takeoff. So it just kind of sets you and gets you in a great rhythm to the jump and not really worry about the distance. You know, you can make it a little forward, make it a little bit shorter. Yeah. The horse backs themselves off and you can just just worry about the rest. Yeah, those are awesome. When you are prepping for a horse show, what does that schedule look like for you? I mean, we're looking at the biggest class we're going to jump. Let's say if it's a two-star week or something, we're going to try and build up to that Grand Prix or, or that qualifier. And then, you know, prepping a week out would be probably schooling one course, one gymnastic, depending on the horse. And you kind of go from there. If you're jumping on grass, try and get like a grass school in at some point if they haven't been on it. I always feel more confident and get better results when I know I've done that prep work. Whether if, you know, there's an issue with a wall or a gate or a water jump, just that repetition in the preparation where it it's not a big deal for horse or, or rider. Is there anything you like to do personally to prepare for showing? No, I'm too wrapped up in the horses. Um, I, you know, I try and and stay like on a physio routine and do mm-hmm. physical therapy or whatever I need to to be in the the strongest shape for the horses. But that's always regular maintenance, really. So it's more just just prepping, prepping. Yeah. Yep, exactly. I mean, for anyone who has any bit of nerves, it's sometimes kind of nice to be preoccupied and focusing on something else instead of sitting around being like, okay, it's my course. I find that I have a lot of anxiety about uh, something, whether it's a decision or it's not normally about a show, but it could be, you know, there's not accommodations um, that Mm -hmm. we're looking for. 
or staff or yeah. you know, get kind of in a little whirlwind in, in yeah. our own worlds. I do love running. So when I'm kind of at that like mental point, I'm like, okay, just go run it out a good two mile run. Mm-hmm. I kind of go to Tabata interval sprints. So like 20 seconds flat out, you know, then slow it down for 10 seconds or I'll just do it to the beat of the music. Yeah. That kind of, I'm like, okay, after take a breath. And that was a good, a good reset. So totally. What would you say is an area of the industry that you are particularly passionate about that you feel like the rest of the industry either doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk a lot about? So one part of the industry, I'd never really understood with sometimes working with junior clients, nerves. I I understood them in a pressure situation, but it wasn't until last year I, I felt how overwhelming they can be. I had a moment on my horse Barla. I was jumping one of my first night classes back. It wasn't very big. I think it was just a meter 40 class that went at night. And I walked the course and and felt totally fine and then sat up in the stands and all of a sudden the fences started looking, you know, bigger and bigger and the track more and more technical. But, you know, we're taught, we just fight through it and you, you know, you go in and all through my warm up was in the back of my head. I'm not sure if I want to do this. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you got to do it. You're having that internal dialogue. Um, yeah. But in the ring, I think I had sort of a, a two early rails, nothing bad happened. And it just felt so overwhelming. I, and it actually got pretty emotional. And I'd never experienced that in, in my life. It was yeah. in the show ring. It was just suddenly it can snowball and it just felt so overwhelming. Hmm. So I thought, okay, like I have to tackle this. Clearly, you know, it's something maybe from my injury or maybe I've let things build up. Who knows, who knows really where it's coming from. Yeah. Um, but I actually worked and did some positive visualizations that I was able to call on. I think I showed like two weeks later, it, it was Del Mar and then I went to Thermal and, and was second in the National Grand Prix. Wow. There was, you know, a moment walking in, it sort of crept in again. Yeah. Um, and I think it's going to be a constant management, maybe until I jump enough bigger classes or, or who knows. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was interesting. And I think that sort of sports psychology side and and really the mental side of riding, we really we can look into more. I want to take some time to understand it more. I've definitely gotten a handle on it, but um, not like a total grasp, I'd say. So yeah. You know, it's always learning new skill sets, like new tools to put in that toolbox. So it was it was interesting to to experience it and kind of get a handle on it and be able to write it um, mm-hmm. and understand from a teaching and and client perspective how it really feels. I don't think professionals talk about it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think there's always this facade that it's like, okay, once you have turned professional, you right. have to be perfect. You can't have any nerves. You have to, you know, like you can't have any emotion. For women in the sport too, it's one of the only sports where men and women compete equally, and we're yeah. so, you know, we're so good at going in the ring, especially in equitation, block out anything or any, mm-hmm. you know, even jumper situations when you're younger block out whatever is going in your personal life and go in the ring and perform and, you know, lay down those rounds. But I think we bridging into the professional side, as you make that transition, it, it's hard because you have to just be so, so tough and putting up that exterior and not wanting to be vulnerable and say, oh, I struggled with this. And maybe mm-hmm. 
week at some point. So, you know, it's just, it's constantly learning and it's, it is interesting. Yeah. Definitely. When you were coming out of the ring that first night, obviously you're like, okay, something needs to change. I want to talk about this. How did that process go? Did you end up like reaching out or working with a coach or how did you find the help that you needed to then be successful a couple of weeks later? Of course, my mom is always like so supportive. So yeah. I called her while I was, you know, a little upset. <laughs> I'm not sure why, because nothing, the weird thing was nothing bad had happened, right? right. If I crashed, if I had stopped, if I'd fallen off, mm-hmm. but there was no real reason for this. So, right. you know, she kind of sifted through it with me and I'd seen someone in being in LA, there's a lot of these people mm-hmm. <laughs> that do more of a holistic approach. So I'd seen someone for some energy work to try and help with getting more disciplined about meditation. Uh-huh. So, she, you know, go see her. So I worked with this woman that does energy work and we worked on some meditation and just some simple visualizations. The The core of mine was just sort of when you go in and, and there's a whole process to it. I'm simplifying yeah. it, but to visualize that I'm surrounded and you know, whatever horse I'm on, if it was Barla or whatever, we're surrounded by protective white light. And imagine that sort of white barrier protecting you. Nothing can harm you. And you go in that ring with that, you know, sort of barrier there protecting you. And that was, you know, I practiced it a few times. I'm like, is this really going to work? This seems a little (laughs) odd, but you know, I'm going to do it. And then, you know, it it actually for me worked. I'd love to to learn more about visualizations through maybe the lens of sports psychology more. I've done a mm-hmm. bit of it, but not one that I remembered worked so well. You know, so it's just finding finding what works. It doesn't have to be the the same route for every rider. I mean, you bring up such a good point. It's something that is not often talked about in the industry. Thankfully, it's becoming more popular to have performance coaches as part of your preparation for the sport. Any major sport like football or basketball or hockey, like all of those top guys and girls have performance coaches and have people that they talk to and the psychology of everything. And I mean, I might be biased, but especially with riding, it can be such a mind game and you're not just working with your mind, but you're trying to finesse and work with another mind with your horse. And so I think that the ability and the acceptance of doing more with coaching and mental health and performance is something that is going to be super important and something that if continuing to have a focus on, I think that we will see um, an improvement in the overall performance in our sport. Definitely. And I think it's so important too, as a rider, if you want to be a professional or not, these skill sets I think are so useful for, for anything in life, right? Mm-hmm. You know, an, a very intense job, family issues that come up. Yeah. Um, riding can can teach us those because at the top of, of any sport, any job, the elite, not much separates them. Everyone is so good. So having yeah. that mental edge can really pull, pull you to the top. Totally. Um, and to use riding to work through these things and, and give us skill sets. You know, I think of like junior riders I've taught that haven't gone on to professional careers and they've stopped riding. 
to use these skills for other things after. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. That's very insightful because I mean, you think back to, you know, friends or clients or people that you've had in the past who go on to do non-horse related things and they always bring horses back up into the conversation. So it's definitely life lessons for sure. Yes, for sure. Well, Hannah, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. I loved having you and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. That was so much fun. Thanks for having me. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week. Thank you.